Welcome everyone to another episode of From the Sands, the Cool Picks show. I hope you are doing well. On today's episode, we have Jason Podolin, former NHL hockey player who spent time with the Florida Panthers, the Maple Leafs, the Islanders, and the Kings. Uh, Jason will share his memories of what it was like to grow up in the hockey world, as well as uh, some insider knowledge behind the draft day, his draft experience playing on the World Junior Hockey Championships in 96, as well as we talk about his podcast, Up My Hockey, and uh, the surroundings around that, and what the key messages are for him. Uh, before we get Jason on the show, we, of course, would like to give a shout out to our sponsors um, with Mad Creative and Matthew DeCastro for the work that they do for the shows, uh, each and every episode for the logos. Uh, so without further ado, let's get Jason on the show and start talking some hockey. All right, Jason Podolan, how are you today, sir? Doing great, man. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thanks for taking time. So uh, how did you know that hockey was a sport like built for you? I don't know if you ever know, really. You know, I was uh, I was a good athlete. I think back in the day, it was kind of, you know, you were playing so many different things and you're exposed to so many different things that um, I was a pretty well-rounded athlete, like playing baseball, like soccer, you know, and when winter rolled around, my family wasn't really much of skiers and we were sort of just a, we were a hockey family, right? So that was where we ended up being. And uh, I guess I just gravitated to it. You know, I was I was good at it, I guess. And, um, and then the Canucks kind of hooked me. Uh, there's usually some type of Genesis story like that for guys, right? Like the Canucks in 81. So I was five, uh, just turned five in 81 in February. And they went to the finals that year and they rode King, King Richard Berder's uh, coattails there to the finals and had that ugly Jersey, the V Jersey. And, uh, they were rolling around and they got swept by the Islanders, but that whole, that whole ride, um, you know, we were, we're from BC. And so, I mean, hockey night in Canada, that's all they had on, right? We were seeing Canucks after Canucks after Canucks and uh, kind of just fell in love with the sport there really. And fell in love with, with the Canucks for, for, for a time being. And, uh, and yeah, from the time I was about eight, I, it was what I really wanted to do. It was what I thought that I could do. And that was sort of the goal is like, yeah, I'm going to be a hockey player. You know, that's what I wanted, wanted what I wanted to be. It's funny that you mentioned about the Canucks and the and the V jerseys because a buddy of mine grew up in Vancouver and he's a big so obviously he's a Canucks fan and uh, when he when Vegas is playing Canucks he wore it every single game in hopes of like something like miraculous pulling off uh, for it but obviously that didn't happen. Yeah, we. Um, I have a jersey from that run. Like when my parents got me one, I, I mean. I think it was that same year, but it's like the original V uh, still have it. My, yeah, I have two young boys now and they wore it to one of the Canucks games. We went, I think it was last year before COVID and uh, they had one of them on it. So it was amazing how much, uh, how much recognition they got wearing it, you know, like from the, from the Vancouver faithful there, because uh, the original, the original ones aren't, aren't around much anymore. So he got some respect for it. Yeah, definitely. Now, talking about your hockey career, you started your career off in 1991 with the Penticton Panthers for one season before uh, finding your way to the Spokane Chiefs of the Western Hockey League. What was it like for you to kind of start making a name for yourself in the WHL? Yeah, well, I mean, that first year you talked about Panthers. I mean, a big... Uh a future hall of famer by the name of Paul Correa was on that team. So that was, uh, I was 15 years old in, in the BCJHL at the time in that league, you know, had 20, 21 year old men in there. So I was, I played one year, my first year of Bantam and then went to the BCJ 
um, and had a pretty prominent role in that team. I think I scored 20 goals that year as a 15 year old, but it was pretty cool to be around, you know, Paul and just watching him in practice and everything else. You could see that he was really special. You know, uh, there's just something about his game that was, that was different. So that was a big kind of, I don't know, it, it was, it was a learning curve for sure. And it got me ready for the WHL. I mean, that's where I knew I wanted to go. Uh, I had been listed at 13 years old uh, to the WHL. That was the youngest you could get recognized. There was no draft back then. So once you turned 13, you were eligible for, for a Western Hockey League team. And uh, if they did choose to list you, it was called you got put on their 50-player protected list. But as a 13-year-old, you'd take up three spots on that list. So it was very, you know, it was quite rare that they would add 13-year-olds to that list because it it allowed them to have less players that could play from at the time. And plus, they'd have to hold on to me for three years, right, until I could play. So, um, you know, that's just saying like I was I was a big kid growing up as a, as a minor hockey league player, and I was, you know, and I was good. So I mean, being bigger and better than most of those guys, it was it was easy, easier for me to stand out. So I was recognized at quite a young age as being a, a, a pretty top level prospect. And, and so my sights were always set in the WHL and, and the chiefs. And then, so when I got there, um, I was kind of ready, you know, I felt like I was ready. I felt like I was supposed to be there. I'd had that experience in, in the BCJ, um, playing against men already. And, and yeah, my first season went really well. You know, we, we, we started out, I kind of started out in a third line role and wasn't playing a ton. And then towards the end of the season, our second line center, Scott Townsend broke his jaw, which allowed me to, to play second line and got some PP time. And I, I think I scored 19 goals in my last 15 games or something as a 16 year old to score 36 that year. And, and that, that really put me on the map. Cause I think that was second or third in the entire Canadian hockey league for, uh, for underage players. So ended up representing Canada that summer at, um, for the under 17 team, we went to Japan uh, was kind of on the national radar then and and then there was quite a bit of hype about the draft year where you know some people had me in the top five top 10 kind of going into the going into my draft year there in 94. Now talking about your draft year in 94 uh, you were selected 31st overall which is still unreal uh, because getting drafted let alone uh, in the top 50 is, is spectacular and you were drafted by the Florida Panthers. How excited were you going through that process knowing the name that you made for yourself in the WHL playing in Japan and kind of getting to where you were then and then having your name announced during that draft? Oh, well, I wish it was a more happy memory, to be honest. I mean, my draft year was tumultuous, kind of to say the least. Like I said, there's a lot of hype there. There was a lot of stuff that went going on, you know, as a 17-year-old trying to deal with everything that's happening, you know, like that you you want to be good, you want to be recognized, you want to perform well. Um, yet there's all these other things that are going on because you're on a hockey team that wants to win games and there's a coach that needs to want to put you on the ice. And, and we, uh, we had a, a team that was quite good and we had a lot of good older players. So even though it was my second year and I had a really successful rookie season, we still had like Valeri Burry there and Maxim Betts and Ryan Duffy and, uh, you know, like a, a lot of good players. So it wasn't like a, a shoe in for me to be a, in a top six role, even though I might've thought I should have been there. So uh, so there was a little bit of trouble right between me and the coach and just not necessarily like we were mad at each other, but I just had a, I was having a hard time getting on the ice and then I was getting down on myself and then you're not scoring goals and then you're seeing your name dropped in the, in the standings. And then there's people telling you, you should be traded or you should ask for a trade or, you know, all this kind of stuff, this turmoil going on in the background, all the while you're, you just want to play. So I, uh, I mean, I scored 29 goals that year, which, you know, a lot of guys don't do, you know, so I still had a relatively good year, but I definitely had my sights more on like a 50 goal campaign that year is sort of what I thought at the beginning. 
Uh, so yeah, my stock kind of dropped. There was question marks about, you know, anytime you're, you're not getting ice time for a coach, there becomes question marks. Why, you know, like, is he, is he uncoachable? Is he selfish? Does, you know, is it the coach's fault? Right. So there's, there is a lot of conversation about that. And then I saw my name kind of falling down the, the draft ranks a little bit. And, you know, it depends on who you, who you were looking at, but I mean, people sort of I was kind of pegged to be a first rounder still probably mate late to uh, mid to late round first round and uh and I was kind of deemed as a little bit of a wild card so that I mean it was what it was and that's fine and then we went to the the draft and you have all your draft day interviews which is uh it's quite a stressful scenario for any young man because you know you're you're being interviewed by men, sometimes a room full of men. You're the only one in there. You don't have, you know, a lawyer or an agent or whatever. You're just sitting in this room by yourself with all these hockey guys, um, you know, grilling you. And, and, and a lot of, in a lot of the rooms, they don't, they're doing their best to make you feel uncomfortable. You know, like they don't, they don't want you to feel comfortable. And they, they made it known in some of those rooms that, uh, you know, they didn't like what they saw this year or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, you had to grow some thick skin and do the best you could. But so like all those interviews were, were some were good some were bad I still didn't know what was going on but then the last interview which was really really wild and crazy and I I've only told the story a couple of times but I I was meeting with the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Maple Leafs uh the the meeting was with Cliff Fletcher who was the GM at the time and that was I never had any meeting that was just with the GM like it was always usually the head scout or it was like a group of scouts or and that was the case for for well, I mean I think everybody in the draft except this one this one, my very last meeting was with Cliff Fletcher. And so it was just me and Cliff. I, he not, he opens the door and there he is. And he shakes my hand and he was like, he instantly made me feel warm and welcome. And he was kind of had a, a grandfatherly type, you know, uh, vibe to him. You know, he was just, he wasn't intimidating. Like I knew who he was and he's obviously using hockey forever and been very respected in the game, but he didn't have this, there was no pretentiousness to him. He was just kind of an authentic, nice guy, right? And he asked me how my experience had been, and he asked me how things were going. And then, and then he pretty much he just cut to the chase, and he said, "Hey, Jason, I just want to let you know that um, we're going to take you with our first round selection tomorrow." And uh, and they were picking, I think, sixteen or eighteen at the time. And so, I mean, my eyes went like this, right? I was like, holy smoke. So he's like, but we don't think we're going to get you in our position. He 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 continued. He says, "We're we're going to trade up for you. We're going to make a trade." We're going to trade up for you. And, um, and yeah, essentially shook my head and said, we'll see you tomorrow at the draft day table. So, so I left that, I mean, my last interview of the last day before draft um, with the GM of an NHL team telling me that they were going to trade up for me and I was going to be a first round selection of, you know, the Toronto Maple Leafs. So, I mean, I told my agent at the time, who was Mike Barnett, who was a really big name in the sport and well, still is, but I mean, he had Wayne Gretzky and Jaeger and Hall and all these, all these big names and, and he was like, wow, he told you that? And I'm like, yeah, he told me that. And he's like, holy, he's like, Cliff, Cliff isn't like, I mean, if Cliff says it, he's going to do it, you know, like kind of deal. And um, so, yeah, so that was my expectation. And I mean, that's a long winded way, but I mean, I think it's very relevant, you know, like it, your, your happiness or your sadness or your irritation or any of these emotions that you have are usually based around what your expectation is, right? I mean, if I, if I thought I was going to go 50 and I went 31, I probably would have been ecstatic, right? But I thought I was going to go uh earlier than that and end up going 31 and so to bring it back to the draft day story so everything happened as he said it was going to happen he made a trade uh at the 10th spot he made the trade at 10 i think he traded with washington uh and you know so toronto traded with washington and now so toronto has the 10th overall pick 
And you could imagine the smile on my face. I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be top 10, right? Like this is, this is amazing. And then they made another trade uh, right after that. And they went back down at 14 or 15, I think. I can't remember exactly. And so that's where it's at. And I mean, neither here nor there. And then so 15 comes along. And then there's this big long wait before they made their pick. And, and, and even to make like the drama even more crazy and like unbelievable, uh, one of the microphones at the table turned on. Like, you know, in the big, in like the arena, Hartford Arena, we were in Hartford. They, they touched the button by mistake, apparently, or whatever. And like for the split second or two that that mic was on, my name was said, Jason Padolan, right? Like, so it was clear as day. So my agent like hits me and this is just before they're going to make their selection, right? So Anyways, we think everything's on point. And so uh, Cliff goes up to the podium and then they took Eric Fischow. They, they announced that they were taking Eric Fischow. So like my heart sank, no idea what happened. And then I ended up waiting, you know, for another 15, 16 picks and then went 31 to Florida. So uh, which happened to be Florida's third pick, right? So they took uh, Ed Jovanovsky first. They took uh, Rhett Warner, uh, I think with the 26th pick or something. And then they took me 31. So Again, like you said, soup, something to be super proud of and something really, you know, to be to be excited about. Uh, but it was just wasn't the expectation. It wasn't what I was told. Right. And, and go to go from being, you know, Toronto's first selection to Florida's third um, was a little bit different in the pecking order as well. Right. For within that organization. So. It was a, it, I mean, I cried that night to be hundred percent honest with you. It was not a fun day. I mean, waiting there for those 16 picks felt like it was 10 hours, not, you know, an hour. Uh, and, and then, but I mean, the, I guess the silver lining of the whole thing is, or at least not silver lining, but like, at least I got an answer because Cliff came over to me as I was leaving with my Florida jersey on, like leaving the draft floor and he saw me, we made eyes and, and he came, he walked over, put his arm around me and, uh, and he apologized. He said, you know what? He's like, our, uh, it was their head scout, their head pro scout had died of a heart attack, I guess, like two or three days earlier. And, uh. And his guy was Eric Fichot. So even though like the, the you know, the community of, of everyone who had to make the choice, like that night before when he told me like was me, I guess they had this kind of reflective moment and there was an emotional element to it and everything else. And they're sitting at the table and then they made this, this new choice, right? Well, maybe in honor, in honor of his passing, we should take his guy. And, um, you know, and such is life and that's the way it goes. But it's, uh, you know, that's the thing that the common fan doesn't really know, right? Like what goes into making a selection all the time is like pretty wild and pretty crazy stuff. Exactly. And it's really cool to know that Cliff Fletcher did at least give you an answer as to why, like, hey, we promised you this and we went this route. At least you have kind of that closure versus having those nights where it's like, what? Like, what did I say? What did I do? Could I have done something differently? To, to influence and things like that right so um at no least- i agree and it was massive integrity by him right he didn't have to say anything and a lot of guys wouldn't have said anything uh, but i think i think he also knew though that he, he didn't have to say anything the day before yeah right it's not like he had to tell me that he could have just said hey you know good luck tomorrow right and then there would have been no expectation but like he was he was really clear on what they were going to do and i think yeah i mean I've never heard anyone say that Cliff Fletcher is a bad guy, right? So I think he he understood the human element of that, right? Like what a seventeen year old kid must have been thinking, and um, and you know took the time out of his day, which was means I'm sure super strenuous and stressful and everything else that they have. They 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 have twelve months where they get ready for that draft, but he did take the the two three minutes to walk across the floor and say that, and you know I'll respect him forever for doing that. That that was that was great. Now, talking about the Leafs in a second, you made your NHL debut with the Panthers after being drafted a couple years later in 96, playing with them for a short 19-game season before actually finding your way back to the Toronto Maple Leafs organization. 
Um, touching like a little bit more on like post draft with Florida and then finding your way north of the border, how did it feel to kind of play with Florida but then wind up with Toronto after everything that like you incurred or encountered at the draft rather? Um, well, I mean, I guess that's cool that I maybe told that story because you know, now you know that's why I ended up there. Right. So in 96, Cliff Fletcher wanted me. And then in, uh, not 96 and 94, my draft year, Cliff Fletcher wanted me. And then two years later, my first year pro, he ends up getting kind of his original guy, right. Makes, makes a trade for me there down the stretch when Florida was, was trying to repeat what they did the year before when they went to the finals there with Colorado. Uh, they, they had another, uh, playoff team. And I mean, you see it all the time, right? Guy prospects get traded for, for experienced players to help with the playoff run, you know, uh, at the time, I had that was not on my radar. I didn't even know it was the trade deadline. I mean, I and I had no idea. And it's not like it is now, where there's all this, you know, social media talk. Where I mean, you you know, days in advance sometimes who's who's looking for what or who maybe is on the block. So I mean, I was I had just got sent down from Florida, uh, and and my phone rang when I was asleep for a game in the AHL, and and got called by. Uh, you know, Brian Murray from Florida and said, Hey, you're traded. It was like a two minute conversation. Cliff Fletcher called and said, Hey, we're excited to have you. And I was on a plane legitimately like three hours later and in Toronto, like it was, it's crazy how fast that happens. You're not prepared for it. You know, I'd never experienced a trade at that point. I'd been in Spokane for four years, right. And never been traded in Spokane. I was, I was a lifer there. And I thought in my head, right, naive or otherwise, that I was going to be a Florida Panther for my entire career and I was going to be in the NHL. And that was just, you know, where, where my comfort level was. So, you know, going to Toronto was was really mind-blowing, to be honest. I mean, it was not – it was so shocking. And I didn't know anyone in that organization. I didn't know any of the players. You know, I hadn't gone to camp with any of them. I didn't know anything about anything going there. So uh, – and it wasn't like I was uh, – you know, a, a full-time NHL. It was my first year pro, right? I'd played 19 games. I'd scored my goal, you know, like 19 games. You're probably in the NHL for maybe three months kind of playing 19 games, maybe, you know, maybe two. So, I'd, I mean, I was definitely felt like I was there, but I, I also was just working my way into it. And that was the way the Florida was kind of designing it. You know, like they had me in a fourth-line role there. There was not much pressure. It was like, hey, get your feet wet, get comfortable. You know, you're going to be a part of this team for a long time. And then and then to have that not be what your environment is. And now you're in a whole new scenario with new people. And, and not to mention like the spotlight of being a Toronto Maple Leaf in Toronto, uh, which was something that I'd never experienced before either. Listening to a radio show about yourself on the way to the hotel, right? When you arrive, I mean, it's just, it was uncomprehensible to me that it was that big of a deal or that I was even maybe that big of a deal. And, uh, and yeah, so that was hard. Like that first, that first 10 games I had there, I got a lot of opportunity. Like they did give me some, I mean, I was playing with Matt's a couple times, like Sundin and um, had, had some good opportunity there and, and played okay, but just wasn't comfortable, you know, like was not comfortable at all and didn't really, didn't really grab the opportunity with both hands and just sort of step into it. I was, I was trying, I was playing more not to screw up than to impress, you know, and anytime you're, you're doing anything. I mean, whether it's your radio show or you mean, you can trans, you can trans, you know, translate that into any endeavor. If you're trying not to make a mistake or if you're trying to be safe, you're not going to be at your best. And that was kind of the best way I could describe um, what my time was like there that first year. Uh, 
but then, yeah, I mean, fast forward, I mean, the, the next year I was ready at camp for sure. Like I thought that I belonged. I knew those guys, which was a big deal for me for whatever reason, like just kind of knowing some of the players and feeling comfortable, had a few friendships. Um, I was ready to go at camp, was in great shape, but that, that summer, uh, the summer <laughs> Cliff Fletcher got fired. So, uh, that's never a good thing when you're the guy that gets brought in by the GM that just goes out. Um, you know, Mike Smith, it was kind of clear very early on that for whatever reason, I wasn't one of his guys. And regardless of what I did in the minors, uh, it just didn't translate into an opportunity in the NHL. So, you know, such as life, that's pro sports for you. But, um, you know, Toronto, I think, could have been a great thing for me. I wish I would have handled that first that first trade, that, the, the, I mean, that initial moment um, definitely better, uh, which is kind of why I do what I do now, because you never know when you're going to get an opportunity and helping me helping young athletes with mindset and mental toughness and, you know, how to how to really uh, change your perspective on what an opportunity is instead of being fearful, like, you know, being being opportunistic and being being positive and hopeful is is a skill, right, which I have learned. And, and I think it's a really big part of the game because you can have all the tools in the world. And if you can't if you can't uh, put yourself in the headspace to get it done on the ice at, at the right time, you know, you never know when that time might come again. So uh, I like passing on that knowledge now to others. And, uh, you know, it was a big part of my career for sure, that, that moment in time. Yeah, exactly. And we're going to talk about that uh, opportunity that you have to train younger athletes with the hockey camp that you do run. But I do want to ask a question around the World Hockey Championships. And during the 96 season, you were able to represent Canada at those games where your team won gold. How did it feel for you to be able to represent Canada at those games? Um, like winning a gold is fantastic in itself, but just being able to go um, represent your, your country and, and everything that uh, represents you about hockey, what was that feeling like? Well, that still is one of the biggest moments. I mean, if you ask anybody, I, I haven't checked your, your, your historic guest list, but I mean, if you've had a world junior gold medal champion from Canada on, I mean, regardless of whether they've won a Stanley Cup or whether they've, you know, been a Hall of Famer, like that's going to be on their top three, probably li lists of things that they did. Because, yeah, I mean, if you're, if you're a WHL player, a CHL player, you know, OHL, QHL, like you are involved in hockey at all. What, what TSN has done with that World Junior Championships is amazing. It's a part of hockey culture in Canada. It's something that, that a lot of families make a point of doing over the Christmas holidays and watching these young athletes go and kick some butt and try and do their best for Canada. And to, be, to make that team, which, you I mean, you've watched from the time you were whatever, eight, seven, you know, and now you're on that team wearing that Maple Leaf and then, you know, contributing and, and winning gold is, uh, is still something that I'll cherish forever. I mean, I have, the, I have the gold medal seven feet away from me right now. You know, like it's, uh, it's just one of those things that you don't forget. And, uh, and that, that was a huge year, you know, like 96 was crazy. I mean, when, when I was, when you were asking, you know, telling me sort of where we were going to go with this, I looked at 96 and that was, we had, we had a number one ranked team in CHL, the Spokane Chiefs. So we were kind of favored to win the Memorial cup. Uh, that was my last year of junior. Personally, we had a really good, we were down three games to nothing in, uh, uh to Portland in the first round of that, of that playoff series, uh, playoff year. And no team had no first round, no first seed had ever lost in the first round, and no WHL team had ever come back from three nothing. So either way, we were going to make history, and uh, and we ended up winning that game in, in seven that series in seven games in overtime, and then went on to the WHL final. We lost to Brandon, but I had like a really strong playoffs, best I ever played in the WHL. I got 20, 21 goals in nineteen games there, almost broke a record for playoff goal scoring, and then 
Florida called me up, and that was when Florida went to the finals. So I was a black ace with Florida. Almost played the first game when I got called up um, against Boston, but then Ray Shepard had this like miraculous shoulder uh, recovery, and uh, and then it was a black ace. But went all the way to the finals that year with Florida. So my first taste of pro was like a Stanley Cup final, right? Like which was crazy. And then uh, you know that following season, which was still 1996, was when I scored my first NHL goal, played my first NHL games, and it was also then when. Uh, or sorry backtracking when when we won that gold medal like before the playoffs even started with with so it was like for me like that year was insane like in a lot of ways like you can pack that much into one year ever and uh, a lot of great things were happening so you know the fact that that gold medal was really the cherry on top of that whole year and my first NHL goal it was it was a pretty special year for me well, it wouldn't be a it wouldn't be a proper podcast with a world champion world junior championship contender if we didn't see some of that gold medal considering it was seven feet away oh it's on (laughs) it is on a well you know what i might be like it's 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 mounted here i'll show it to you let's see so i i painted the office here that you're looking at so this had to come down but if we put it on the thing oh yeah so That's there we awesome. go. So it's 1996 World Junior Championships, the gold medals in the middle. And then there's a stick that I used uh, against Russia in the semifinal where I scored my two goals with that's signed by, uh, signed by everybody on the team. So some great guys on that team, like some future – I mean, like Jerome McGinley was on that team. Uh, Damon Lankow was on that team. You know, Curtis Brown, uh, Nolan Baumgartner, Jose Theodore. Uh, Rhett Warner, you know, there's a lot of great players on that team that went on to do some really good things and uh, still have friendships from that team. So it's it's a special memory for sure. All I'm going to have to say is that if you're going to hang that up in the background, you're going to need like a wide angle Zoom camera to get the whole thing. Finished. It's usually like right there. So no, no one's going to see it usually on these Zoom call interviews. It's more it's more just for me to, to glance at every once in a while. That's incredible. Um, well, yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a unique situation. And going back to the NHL for a quick second, um, after your time with Florida and Toronto, you also played a little bit of time with the LA Kings and the Islanders. Out of the four teams, considering, like, you touched on kind of, like, what it was like to be drafted by Florida, being transferred to Toronto, kind of in the situation and state that it was, what out of, like, which one out of those four teams would you say was your most kind of enjoyable experience in hockey during your pro career? Well, if you're talking just NHL, I mean, it, 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 would, be, it would be Florida for probably none other than it was just, I mean, that was who drafted me. I had three or four training camps with them. Right. So, I mean, I had, I'd traveled around to different places. I knew the veterans, the veterans knew me. Uh, there was a, you know, there was a team like feel there where I felt comfortable. I knew the prospects even like, that's another thing, right. To you're growing up with these guys. Like, you know, Ryan Johnson was my roommate. Kevin Weeks was part of that organization. David Nemirovsky, uh, even Ed Jovanovsky, Rhett Warner, like these guys, we came up together. Right. So even though you're kind of fighting for similar spots, like you, you feel like you're on your own little team, right. And at least you get to know each other a little bit. So, so that was the longest place that I had been, you know, uh, now looking back on it and that was definitely where I kind of just felt the most comfortable other than that it was you know getting traded to a brand new place brand new people you know really scratching and clawing to try and try and make it work 
uh, I had an amazing time in, in St. John's and was really successful there on a personal level and, and really enjoyed all the people there. So, I mean, I did, I did enjoy my time in, on the rock there in Newfoundland playing for the, playing for the baby Leafs. Uh, cause I was, again, I mean, there was a little bit of a tenure there, right? I was there for almost, geez, two and a half seasons, I guess, you know? So it was, uh, you know, you start to feel comfortable, right? I think, I think that is a big thing for an athlete is to, is to feel comfortable, you know, like not so comfortable that you're not working or trying, obviously, like not, not in that sense of the word comfortable, comfortable meaning like you belong there, right? Or you feel like, like you're, you're valued there, you're respected there. Like that, that level of comfort for me as a person and as a player really meant a lot, um, you know, and, and that's where I found, I found that a little bit in Florida and definitely found that in St. John's. Those are two good memories there. Now talking about being uh, comfortable, did you make sure to pack the extra layers when you come from Florida out north of the border? Cause it gets pretty chilly during the winter time. Well, yeah, I mean, that was interesting. I definitely had to get, I didn't even have a lot of that stuff. And, and even I, I, I mentioned how quick that, with that trade, when that happened, right. It was, it was so fast and I couldn't imagine guys that do that with a family or kids, you know, a wife, I mean, I was single at the time, but to, to relocate in, in two and a half hours to never see that place again. You know, like I left with a suitcase, my car was still in Florida from when I got left down. So I had my car in Miami, I was sleeping in, in Greensboro, North Carolina, and then moving to Toronto. Um, you know, I didn't see my car. I think my mom had to go get my car after that season in Toronto, I got sent down to St. John. So I played on four different teams in, in, in the span of like four months, which is, is insane too. I mean, that's, that's four different hockey teams you're on with four different players and four different coaches and four different sets of assistant coaches. And like, it's, um, you know, I, I, I just keep bringing that up because it is a part of the game, especially when you're young, that it's like the average fan doesn't really think about, you know, like the, the human aspect of, of the impact of doing that is, uh, is challenging. And, and like you mentioned the clothes, I mean, yeah, I mean, redoing your wardrobe and redoing everything, right. Every place, every place you go, because you can only take so much with you. Right. Yeah, definitely. Now looking at outside of the, the hockey realm to a degree from a playing perspective into a teaching perspective. As you mentioned, um, you wanted to share your, your traits and your experiences with the younger generation. And you do so by running a hockey camp um, where you're able to share those insights. How valuable is it for you to be able to share your experiences of hockey with the next generation? I think it's super valuable. Just, I mean, one minor correction there. I do run some hockey camps. I actually just finished my first one, which was super successful. But what I, what I more do is, is uh, work one-on-one with clients or, or in groups. So it's, uh, uh, I'm usually not necessarily on the ice. Uh, I think the physical realm of the game has been covered uh, extensively. You know, like that's, that's part of the, part of the big evolution of hockey has been that tapping into what is available to us on the physical side. You know, the, the off ice stuff is so dialed in now the on ice skill development is so dialed in now. I, I do believe that's massively important and I like coaching that aspect, but I think the, the, the uncovered stone right now is mindset and the mindset of the athlete and, and the philosophy, I mean, the belief system behind that athlete and how they handle mistakes and adversity and, and all these things, even confidence, right? Confidence is easy, is hard to, uh, is hard to get, but easy to lose, you know? And, and it's like, how do we, how do we manage these ups and downs? And I mean, a lot of this interview for me talking about my pro career has been ups and downs, right? And so how do you get through these downs? Uh, you can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a, if you don't have a system, uh, in place to help you get through some of these things, uh, you can get left behind, right? And that's just the way it goes. So, 
what I love about what I do now is, I mean, talking about mindset and talking about high performance habits and, and, uh, and things to, to make yourself better, even your practice habits better, right? How do you approach the game to be, to be prepared and have the highest level of confidence? All these things can be taught and can be mentored and can be coached. And not only do they, do they result in a more well-equipped athlete, but it also results in just a more well-equipped human being, right? So when you're working with young guys, like not everyone's going to play in the NHL. I get that, right? Like we want to go there. You want to get your D1 scholarship. But you know what? If you learn, if you learn how, to, how to change your perspective on something that you seem as, seem as negative, to find a positive in there, to find the opportunity, if you find some way to, to start categorizing a mistake as a way to improve, you know, if you start building this belief system about yourself, you can accomplish anything. That translates into whatever endeavor you want to do. And, uh, and that's really what I love about it is because they're, they're life skills, they're people skills, and, and they make you a great, great hockey player. So I'm really passionate about that because, you know, on one side of it, to play in the NHL for me personally and to have the pro career that I did, you have to do a lot of things right. You know, I mean, you have to think a lot of things right. You have to be mentally tough. There's tons of stuff that I went through that I know a lot of my, you know, my peers couldn't have that were back home, you know, doing school or whatever. But there's still there is still a lot of stuff that I didn't do right that I wish if I could have, you know, had some different tools in my toolbox or had a mentor in my back corner or had somebody that I could talk to and share some things I was going through with that could have really, really helped me, um, you know, realize more of my potential, played more NHL games, maybe had a different, a slightly different career. So, so I'm passionate about it. I'm a curious guy. I've always been curious about that side of the game, like the psychological side of hockey. And even now as a coach, like if you, if you translate that into on ice development, you mean getting your players, that each player is an individual, each player responds to, to different inputs, right? And because and, and, you want the best for that player and you want that player to, to reach their potential and, and be the best that they can be. So for me, it's like a, it's a little mystery box, right? Every time it's like, hey, how do we, how do we push the buttons here to get the output that we want and, and to help this player get what they, get what they want? And so, yeah, I'm, I'm passionate about it on a lot of levels. I think it's the next generation. I think one-on-one coaching is going to be, is the future for sure. Um, you know, especially in a high performance uh, realm, hockey's usually a little bit behind the curve when it comes to that. You know, a lot of these sports are already seeing that, you know, the, you know, the best golfers in the world, the best uh, tennis players, a lot of these uh, NFL athletes, they have guys for each specific portion of their development, right? Because they recognize it as that important. So, um, so yeah, I, 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 I'm excited about what, where, where it's gone. I'm excited about what's been happening and even the results have been amazing. So it's uh it's nice to be able to give back in a way that, uh, you know, that you make people stronger, better, happier, healthier. It's awesome. Now talking about like kind of, you've touched on a little bit on comfortability and, and sharing that knowledge and sharing those words of wisdom. You actually run a, a podcast just like I do, but yours is called up my hockey where you chat with former teammates and other hockey players, um, talking about their experiences and their, uh, their kind of, um, backgrounds. What's that podcast been like to be able to run? Um, obviously, since the start of it and and things like that. Well, it's amazing. I mean, it, it jacks. It, I, I'm jacked up after every conversation. Like it's 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 something that I look forward to. It was something that I have uh, have some business uh, kind of you know coaches that I work with, and and they suggested it back uh, in 2019 that maybe this was something I should do. Right, that it would be a nice supplement to to my business and to my mindset coaching and to utilize this network of guys and have conversations about thing, things that I think are important, you know, not only uh, to hockey players, but, you know, I mean, to, to my coaching practice. And I was like, 
I went into it a little bit begrudgingly. You know, I was like, ah, I don't know if I want to do this. I don't know if I'll be any good at it. But I mean, I've, I've absolutely loved it. Um, I, I realize now, like one of the benefits of my pro career and playing on these 15, 16 different teams is that I have this massive network of amazing guys uh, that have done amazing things, right? That, that, are, that are willing to talk to me. And, uh, and I'm able to direct the conversation. I mean, that's the little thing that's different about my hockey. I mean, we've had some awesome, awesome reviews and like dads and players reaching out and saying thank you. And, you know, because I'm, I'm asking questions about stories that isn't, you know, not your favorite restaurant on the road. And you know what, there's a, I mean, there's a place for those questions, right? I get that. And there's, there's a place to, you know, to have some laughs and, and, and to do all that stuff. But I mean, I like to go a little deeper. It's just my, it's just my character. It's my personality. I like to ask the questions about, Hey, when was it rough? You know, like how, how did you handle this? And you were probably thinking this and what did you go? Like, how'd you, how'd you come through that? And, and everybody has a story and every story you can take something from, you know? So the parents out there, the coaches that listen to my podcast, the players, like there's, there are lessons every which way. And, and I love that. I love that about it because um, again, I can relate to that as a young athlete. I mean, if I could have listened to what Mario Lemieux would have went through, you know, g- growing up and what he had to deal with and how he overcame some things. And I wouldn't feel like I was on an island figuring it out all, all on my own, you know? So there's people that have done it. There's people that are willing to talk about it. And, uh, and I think that we've, we've done it in such a way that it's, uh, that it's entertaining, you know, that it still brings a smile to people's faces. And there's, uh, and there's just a lot of lessons that get involved in those interviews. And like I said, it just, it just pumps me up. It's a lot of fun. And it's a great way to reconnect with old guys too, by the way, like, you know, for me just to call and I haven't talked to like Brian McCabe. I played with him for two years, for instance, ended up playing 1200 games in the NHL. Right. And now he's a uh, director of player development for the Florida Panthers. You I mean, I called him up. He was like, yeah, I'd love to do it. Talk, talked for like two and a half hours. It was amazing to catch up. He had some ridiculously awesome stories um, that he was willing to share with, with the listeners. And it was just, you know, left feeling good. You know, I've connected with Brian McCabe and now I have him on my phone. And, and uh, I think those networks as men, we usually don't have these conversations enough, you know. And, uh, and so it's been good, good reason for me to pick up the phone and start talking to some guys again. That's great. And yeah, connection's a big component, obviously, like even with this show. Uh, my re- outreach is just like Twitter and Instagram and just like, hey, if, it, if someone gets back, great. If they don't, they don't. Um, but I've been very fortunate in the sense that I've had great names uh, on the show, like yourself included. And it's it's great to have these conversations in, in a time where, where the world is so unpredictable as to what's going to happen tomorrow or what's going to happen in the next week with COVID being around. And so it's great that guys have the time to be able to connect and to be able to share their stories and experiences with one another um, through these podcasts and through these online platforms. I agree. Yeah. I mean, mental health is a big, a big, you know, it's a buzzword right now and it's not going away, you know, it, it, with, with what's happening with COVID and the world. And, and I think the anxiety levels of our youth is higher than ever, just in general. Uh, everyone and everyone wants to be great. Everyone wants to be good. Everyone wants to do well, you know. And and so there's there's this common component of like being human that yeah we want to succeed, but there's a lot of angst that gets involved in that, you know. And uh, and anything that we can do, whether it's you know your show, my show, a, a discussion like we're having, just to one let people realize that you know what this is important, you know, like however you want to classify that mindset, mental health, it's important. It needs to be discussed. And especially as men who seem to want to swallow and pretend it doesn't exist or, you know, feel that we're stoic and, and manly and masculine if, if we don't talk about anything. You know, I, I think when you hear hockey players 
uh, I think specifically because it's like Canada's version of the gladiator. I think, you know, like these young guys walk, you know, grow up and they watch these tough hockey players doing their thing. And when you can hear stories and experiences from guys that talk like human beings that talk about guys that have feelings, um, it makes it easier for those younger players to be like, Oh yeah, it's okay that I felt anxious or scared or I was nervous or I was worried about judgment, you know, as, as long as you give them tools now to overcome those things. Right. And I think that's where, where sometimes we get lost because everyone's feeling that regardless of who you are, it's just, I mean, how well equipped are you to overcome them? So, you know, I think the conversations do matter. I think they matter a lot and, uh, and being involved in something like that. I mean, the, the welfare of today's youth is something that I'm pretty passionate about. So, um, you know, anything to help, right? Exactly. Now, my last question for you, as I like to end off each episode, is asking about your uh, words of wisdom, rather, um, for the next generation. So you did touch on it a little bit with the one-on-ones that you do. But if you had to share any words of wisdom with the future generation of hockey players uh, that are looking to get to the NHL or just get to the next step, what kind of words would you want to share with those athletes? That's interesting, yeah. I don't know. I mean, wake up, wake up better tomorrow than you were today, I think, you know, and, uh, and I think if that's kind of your mantra, I, I think a lot of players and especially in the social media, Instagram world, like you're, you can be surrounded by what appears to be better than, you know, more than, and you go into a have not, can't do that. I'm not good enough type of mentality. Um, which doesn't serve anybody, you know, even guys at the highest level are doing that. Like if you can just, if you can just focus on yourself and when I talk to my athletes is like, I want you to realize your potential and your potential might be different than somebody else's. But if you go to bed today better than you woke up this morning, I'm like, you've done something well and that's something to be proud of and that's something to be confident about. And, uh, and that's has to do with like, again, with these mindsets, like intention, like dedication, like commitment, like focus, like hard work, right? If we can really start to embrace those types of things, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing because we can be proud when we go to bed and we know that we got better. And as long as we keep taking those steps, um, you know, you're doing the right thing. So I think success is measured like that. Are you improving? Are you doing the things that can com- you, you can improve and you can take control of? So that would be, that'd probably be my words of wisdom. Well, no better way to uh, wrap up the show than with those. Jason, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us, share your experiences about your hockey career and your podcast and so much more. Uh, We really appreciate it. Ryan, pleasure to be here. Best of luck with the pod. You're doing a great job and hopefully you get those get those great guests you're looking for there online. And, and hey, if you know uh, any any guys that want to spend some time and chatting, let, hit me up, let me know. All right, 100%, man, we'll do it. <laughs> All right, awesome, man. Thanks so much. Cheers. All right, everyone, that was Jason Padula and former NHL hockey player. Uh, Special thanks to Jason for taking the time to chat with us today. And for any uh, info or updates that you may want to follow Jason on his social media, make sure you follow upmyhockey.com for all the updates on his podcast, his Facebook memberships, things like that, um, that he is currently involved in with hockey. Until next time, we hope that you uh, stay safe, stay healthy, and we look forward to having you tune in to another future episode. Take care.